My name is Andrea Carpenter. I'm the director of Women Talk Real Estate, and I'm delighted to be hosting this new podcast series from the Urban Land Institute. ULI brings together real estate and land use experts from around the world with a mission to shape the future of the built environment and to make transformative impact in communities. And with this podcast, we will focus on that future and that transformative impact. ULI's European Young Leaders Group recently selected 10 outstanding contributors to the industry, hailing them as the new real estate vanguard. These are people in the early years of their career who have already demonstrated entrepreneurial flair or shaken up the corporate world. We'll use these podcasts to hear from each of them about their story, what brought them to real estate and how they are disrupting our industry. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Jonathan Willen, CEO of Europe Property Group, a pan-European real estate investment company. Jonathan's business is the new generation of private equity players in real estate, seeking out value-add and opportunistic real estate deals from its offices in London and Sweden, but firmly focused on social and environmental outcomes as well as financial. Jonathan, thank you so much for being with us today. Great to be here. So, Jonathan, we I'm not even sure that you were almost destined to end up in real estate. You actually did quite a traditional investment banking roles in the in the beginning. So how did that switch to real estate happen? How did we and was there competition amongst other industries for your talents? You're right. And um, I spent the uh, first five years of my career in investment banking, which was a great learning experience. Um, definitely more abstract than real estate, which is all about things you can see and touch. Um, and as I had um, some experience in banking, I wanted to leverage that and be more of an investor. And um, at the time, I thought there's two ways of doing it. One, I'll be a generalist investor, um, investing companies or public equities. And the second is I'll pick a sector which I'm interested in, and I'll try to learn as much as I can about it and uh, do something more niched. And as I was researching different sectors and um, combining that with, with the grad school experience in the US, um, I decided that real estate in the built environment, which I'd always been interested in, um, was was actually what I wanted to uh, to do a deep dive in and and have and haven't regretted it since. And did you consider other sectors? Were there further deep dives anywhere? I did, um, and I spent a bit of time on energy and renewables, which I definitely find interesting. Um, I spent some time thinking through being a generalist investor, which I also find interesting. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, I, I was quite passionate about the built environment and real estate and how you can shape communities and really have an impact um, and uh, decided to go with that. And then sort of around six to seven years into your into your real estate part of your career, you launched Europe. Um, it was with Brunswick. So maybe you, you can tell us what triggered that. You've been spending, I think, most of that time at Blackstone. So how do you suddenly have a conversation with another company about setting up your own business with them? Yes. And, and um, as with many things, um, it, it was about people at the end of the day. And I came in, in contact with um, um, one of the key people of, um, of Brunswick in Sweden. We had an informal coffee and uh, we shared a vision for building a pan-European real estate investment company. Um, and um, I quickly realized that you know I, I had all this experience from from um, large institutions that I could leverage and try to build a platform around. And um, Brunswick um, Ventures um, were great as part of that to uh, to share that vision and help set it up. And what do you think you said to them that meant that they were going to take you on, someone who hadn't run a business before and had always been part of a you know larger institutional businesses? Um, well, we had good chemistry from the beginning, um, and um, 
we shared a vision of what could be built um, as a you know evergreen real estate pan-european investment company mm, we liked a uh, similar type of um, uh, investment themes and uh, people to work with and um, started uh, just working through the the business case of what would it look like how would we do it and that was a very uh, positive experience um, that um, we both, I feel, felt felt very comfortable to explore it further. So and you felt confident at that time of like, yeah, actually, I can do this now. I can jump out of Blackstone and just and do my own thing with with this company. Yeah, and I'd always had an entrepreneurial um, aspiration at some point in my career, but I was also very conscious once you take that step. And I've been working for large institutions for almost ten years. Once you take that step, um, it has to be right. And so I looked at a number of other things uh, in, in the years prior, but it didn't feel entirely right. And when we started sketching out a vision for Europe, uh, it felt right and the people were great. And uh, I haven't looked back since. It's been a really good experience. So I think most people who want to be entrepreneurs sort of know that from the beginning and can't wait to get started. So I think it's interesting that you almost sort of did your time in some of those big banking institutions and then at Blackstone. Do you feel that that was a necessary step for you? You know, you see young people who might feel like, I want to just, you know, I want to get on from this part of my career. Yeah, I think it was absolutely necessary. And I think those experiences make me a better investor and um, have helped shape how I think about decision making, how I think about um, really everything from acquisitions and asset management, building organizations, um, and working with people. So this um, it's not to be underestimated, I think, the experience of uh, working in, in, in some of these institutions and learning. And at the same time, um, you know, being entrepreneurial, um, which is very rewarding and very fun, but I feel like your chances of success are much greater, or perhaps I'm just risk averse, but once you have a good foundation to build upon, um, and that, that's a bit how I approached it. Hmm. And so do you see yourself now being sort of, you know, a younger leader of a company like this as a disruptor? I mean, we we see a tradition of boutique uh, private equity firms like Patron and Tristan. And I wonder if you feel like you see yourself in that mold or whether you're a new generation of, of that tradition in this sort of this generation. Yeah, I, we, we do try to be as innovative and as disruptive as we can within the investment space. Of course, as any real estate investor, you're ultimately judged on your investment performance and returns. But I think that's both financial and it's also about the impact you have on communities and your ESG footprint and the way uh, in which you conduct business. Um, we've taken a um, very returns-driven approach where we've said we can invest across um, almost all major European geographies. We can invest in all different segments. We don't mind investing in both debt and equity. It can be public securities, private buildings and portfolios, but we really focus on risk adjusted returns um, and we like to work with partners. So I, I feel at least in today's world where everything is changing very quickly, there's lots of structural trends. Um, you need to be able to adapt and, and uh, change between markets and investment themes quite quickly. And our flexibility um, has enabled us to do that. Those private equity companies are quite typical in the fact they're very opportunistic. Quite a short-term approach, very you know returns-focused. That's been the model in the past. How are you going to be different 
particularly with that short-term horizon. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd say there are, there are two points um, I would make. The first one is our structure is a little different. Most private equity um, groups raise funds and they're um, often close-ended funds. And the, you know, it, it, it's, not a, it's not necessarily an evergreen, although there are also evergreen structures. We've set up our structure more as, um, as a company investing its balance sheet, recycling equity, um, trying to generate long-term value for our shareholders while being very true to an ESG and a community-led approach. So having that flexibility in how we can invest, what we can invest in, working with partners, staying true to our ESG philosophy, but at the same time, recycling equity and um, being a long-term investor, um, I feel sets, sets us apart. So you can sort of take a longer-term approach on these things, and that's sort of that internally managed structure in a way. Absolutely. Yeah. And do you think about, you know, when you sell those assets on, you need to sell them on to someone who's going to take the same care of them as you. You know, you've had them for a short time. Actually, that longer-term ownership might also be in someone else's hands. Yeah, we always look at that. And um, in terms of hold periods, it really depends on the situation. We've looked at things which... Uh, are as short as a couple of years, but also at strategies where it makes sense to hold these assets for six, seven years. Um, and I think having a uh, variety of these types of situations and assets in your portfolio helps really diversify. Um, and when we think about you know next buyers and who eventually we exit to, um, a key consideration is is of course also what what. Um, impact that will have on um, on the asset and the community around it and um, etc. Okay, so how can you make Europe stand out from the competition? I think what we always try to do is to be really good partners. Our model is based on working with local um, partners in our different um, target geographies and um, you know I can't emphasize enough how much um, that impacts a business model access to deal flow ability to generate and execute on business plans. And being really good partners um, is, is key in real estate because it, it's a lot about people. Um, and um, in addition to being good partners, we try to be really uncomplicated, transparent and open in our decision making, um, which is, an, is the advantage of a smaller investment company as opposed to some of the larger funds where you'd have you know five, six, seven investment committees to come to some decisions, whereas uh, in our case, we can be very quick and very uncomplicated. And can you give me an example of one of those deals, a typical type of thing that you might be looking at? Um, we're looking at the moment at building a, an office uh, platform in the UK, which we're very excited about, where we've focused on uh, the six largest cities outside of London. And these are markets where you can acquire city center office assets, um, really great A buildings. So the type of post-COVID occupier desirable space at quite attractive prices. Um, and we are now um, at a portfolio of four assets, which um, we feel will will continue to seed a larger portfolio. Um, and that's a strategy we're working um, with the partner um, to really grow and, and take forward. So has this been a sort of a post-pandemic view of where offices are going to be? Yeah, we started this in the fall. Um, we spent a lot of time debating the future of offices. And well, our view has always been that it's going to be quite nuanced. Um, there will be good demand for high quality space, especially well-located high quality space. Um, and it's going to be quite um, uh, nuanced for more secondary and tertiary space and locations. 
as well as being community-led. And I think you've seen lots of occupiers wanting to have a hub-and-spoke type of footprint going forward. I think the place of offices in though that type of post-pandemic view, though, is is really about the other uses around it and you know how it fits into a more a bigger community picture is that something that you is going to be part of your investment strategy yes absolutely and um th- this thesis or philosophy of um you know work live play as as um, was often said in the US some time ago i think is now really coming back into focus and um you're seeing a lot of communities having more mixed use assets um having lots of different functions where people can go to the office, but they also can get together and um, you have experiential type of retail. Um, you have all your your fitness things. And that makes sense um, to have a little more localized communities where real estate fills a multitude of purposes. Yeah. And there's a certain stewardship, though, around doing that sort of thing. And I, I suppose I'm interested in sort of how capital that does sort of seek higher returns sits in that type of environment of actually wanting to be like a, building a cohesive place for the long term. Yes. And a good example of that is a project we invested in in Poland. Um, we invest in a company called Capital Park, which is, um, I, I'd say, the market leading developer and owner of asset of real estate assets in, in Poland. And um, we have a really exciting um, Warsaw city center mixed use asset um, in the final stages of development due to be open this summer. And it's an old factory, it's called Norblin, where you know 50 years ago used to be an old factory and now it's been transformed into uh, a phenomenal asset which serves um, really good office tenants, but it also has this whole um, you know f- futuristic vision of experiential retail, um, the type of community spaces that not just office tenants, but local residents will desire. Um, and creates a really good vibe. And those types of assets and that positioning, I feel, you know, even even at um, value add type returns, um, you are contributing to this placemaking, which is really important. And I sort of mentioned the pandemic, and I can't not ask you how your 2020 was in terms of running a business. I think you set this up just be- in 2019, if I'm correct. Yes, that's right. Um, so... We were fortunate in one way because we set up the structure in 2019. Mm. Uh, we did an initial fundraise in the fall of 2019. And um, we had everything ready and we had a platform. Um, we had our initial team. And 2020 was nowhere near what we thought it would be like, but it was still a pretty good year for us. And um, we saw lots of deal flow in our target markets. Uh, we were very selective with what we went through with. And we're very happy with the deals that we went through with. Um, were those mainly deals that you had started already that you you know there was it was challenging to get through due diligence but you at least knew where you, the starting point there were some of those and then there were some new that came as came about as a result of the pandemic um, I mean you will recall and a lot of people will be aware so it was a huge distress in public markets last year and um, we invested in two um, public real estate companies last year um, that have turned out really well but we also look to the UK, for example, I reference this UK office strategy where there's been so much uncertainty around the UK with Brexit and with legislation and with capital flight, etc. that um, there's real opportunity to um, um, to invest if you have conviction around the future of, um, of, of, of the UK and uh, some of those markets. So it was a combination of 
you know, rethinking as the world was changing in 2020, but also staying true to um, to our philosophy and what we really believed in from an investment perspective. Yeah. Um, so was there a point in 2020 when it stopped being about like, OK, oh, my God, we need to sort out the portfolio. We need to think, settle everything down we have. OK, now we can actually see this as an opportunity. Now there's a moment to understand how the world's going to change and how that's going to affect real estate. Yeah. In the beginning, we were very um, we were very cautious and um, in the spring of 2020, I mean, both with public markets, no one was really sure how far it could go. And um, then all of the structural questions around, you know, the future of offices and the future of retail and what's happening with logistics, which keeps growing and growing. Uh, all of these things, as they fell into place, um, we built conviction around a few themes and then started acting as quickly, as decisively as we could. And do you think um, running a business through a crisis like that is going to change how you lead the business going forward? Yeah, I think so. It, it's been a really interesting and um, a great learning experience. Um, and um, it's it's I feel really about having conviction, you know, where, where you have conviction, then um, don't be afraid to um, to to take a view on. On, on things in in that domain but at the same time about being very risk conscious and understanding some of the structural trends and how the world can change uh, to your disadvantage and then weighing those two against each other and and seeing uh, if that makes sense yeah and, and we're, but we're obviously still in a challenging year where we still don't know what you know what the prospects lie ahead and um, how are you feeling about investing into that into that kind of time yeah I think um, you know real estate is always been around in some shape or form um, and I think there is a there is a constantly changing role for real estate in um, in communities and societies and being able to find niches and investment themes as those roles change and there is structural change in the industry that's always the challenge um, and I think we we try to identify themes we try to work with partners and uh, build conviction around um, ideas which which we then invest in. So what will you be your ambitions for European in the, let's say, next three to five years? Well, we want to grow. I mean, we're quite ambitious. We're looking to grow um, and want to be in three years, I'd say 500 million euros of assets. Um, but it's not about growing an asset base as much as it is about finding the right types of deals and partners. Um, and um, I guess the organization will have to grow a little bit with that. Um, and eventually we're, um, we're, we're looking to you know, create a real platform and a real company out of this type of historically fund investing. Um, but we feel like doing it in an evergreen structure where you can recycle equity, you have long-term shareholders, um, will create a lot of value. And are there particular trends, structural trends that interest you the most? in terms of how the world is changing for real estate? Well, I think your your theme of um, mixed use assets and um, real estate serving a multitude um, of purposes to communities is definitely one of them. Um, and another one which you know we're always trying to find creative ways of investing in is this obviously the growth of e-commerce and logistics and uh, some of these light industrial spaces where there's just a ton of competition from the capital perspective. and um you know you have to you have to either believe in in um in very very strong growth projections to um to to be able to do that at our cost of capital 
But at the same time, if you're entrepreneurial and you're working with good partners, it's not impossible. And I think being invested in that would be um, would be great for us as well over the next year. And what about the flip side of that and retail? I mean, that's, you know, in a, if this had been a cyclical change for retail, that's something that private equity would have been all over. But I understand it's structural, it's more complicated. But do you see value there now or maybe in the future is it a watching brief for you yeah retail it's difficult but i think it's also nuanced um and i think while there is a a, a, you know strong structural change in the retail space um there's still a demand for some experiential retail and for some different types of high street retail and for the occasional shopping center retail park but it's about um you know which markets have been oversupplied um, where ha- where is demand shifting the quickest away from some of these physical stores to online, um, and how does that stack up with pricing, capital values, and rents? Um, not to mention that financing for some of these retail assets is obviously very difficult in today's climate. And how, as Europa grow, Europe grows, sorry, how do you um, see yourself growing as a leader? How do you feel you might need to change? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I, I think as Europe grows. Um, I'm always trying to anticipate one step ahead or trying to think both from a from a deal perspective, from an organization perspective, um, and make sure that um, there's enough within the organization to support that growth. Part of that, um, I, I believe, is empowering um, you know, employees who, um, who show that they are um, interested and capable and taking on more responsibility and um, really growing as a team. So as we grow, I'm looking to invest more and more in the team and to um, to really have this be a, a journey for the for the group as a whole. Because it's nice to run a company where you know everyone and you talk to everyone all the time. But as you grow, there comes to a point where suddenly you need an HR function, suddenly you need a marketing function, suddenly you need accounts. You know, do you see Europe? Do you want Europe to to uh, remain more fleet of foot, almost smaller and more, you know. So when you set something up that's a small business, you end up doing um, almost everything yourself, be that from finding office space or doing HR functions, um, working through investment decisions. And as we grow, I think we'll definitely stay quite small and nimble. Um, by working with partners in our different markets, we don't need um, a huge infrastructure internally. But at the same time, as we do more, uh, we need more people and we need more capacity. But being a small company definitely has its benefits, and it's been uh, been a really good experience working closely with um, with a great team. But you'd be quite quite pleased to not have to do all the HR and getting the office and things like that. It might be nice to focus on the deals. Yes, no, absolutely, and yeah. uh, and that's even over the past eighteen months. I mean, it's definitely moved in the right direction, and uh, now we have a really good uh, scalable platform that I feel can uh, can grow quite quickly. Now, at the beginning of our interview, you said you were quite risk averse. Um, How does that affect how you do business? Because obviously you're in a part of the market that takes more risks, you know, relatively. Yeah, Yeah. no, it's a good question. Um, The risk averseness, I think, um, is healthy when you're an investor because you... On the one hand, you have to accept risks, but it's, it's often about trying to figure out what's within your control and not within your control. Um, and and building conviction around some of the themes that you really believe in. So um, I'd say, you know, with with the team, the wider team and the way we're approaching things and the way we've been collectively making decisions, it's worked really, really well. Um, But I I do think 
as an investment company, um, you need to be a little cautious and you need to be aware of which risks you're taking. It's very important. Does that mean you're quite research orientated, quite data orientated rather than maybe instinctive about what you want to do for deals? Yeah, we try to be data driven. Um, we try to always have data to support the decisions that we make. Um, of course, a lot of it is also about instinct. But uh, there has to be something to support that and there has to be, um, be, be data to rely on. And do you get excited doing deals? You, when you spot something, you think, gosh, that's a great opportunity. Yeah, I think uh, absolutely. And, and you know, working with great um, partners um, and um, working on exciting projects. I referenced uh, Norblin in Warsaw, which is a great placemaking project and also our office platform build out in the UK. Um, it is really fun and it's fun to look at a new situation and think what could we do differently How, you know what what's our vision for the future within this segment um and at the same time it's also a challenge you know, you were looking at all of europe and we're being opportunistic and looking for value add deals there's so much we can do and um having a system and a funnel how we you know source ideas to executing and there's a lot of iterations in between and a lot of things we which we spend time looking at and then decide or end up not doing and some things which we identify and we do quite quickly because we really like them. Is that frustrating though when you have to put things to one side because you just don't have the capacity at this time? Um, I mean, it can be frustrating, but it's, it's part of, I think it's a necessity um, because you have to be very selective investing. There's always going to be a ton of things to, to look at. Um, and um, it's, it's just uh, the way we, we approach um, deals, I think. Yeah. Okay. Well, we've got a few final questions that we ask all our podcasters. So what advice would you have for someone starting out in real estate? They want to be you in they're coming after your business in six or seven years time. What do you think they should be doing? I think um, you should be really curious um, and I think you should really engage with lots of different stakeholders to understand the different roles in real estate, um, get lots of perspective, um, read research um, and, um, and visit lots of projects and, and, and assets that you think are interesting or think are, are really cool. Um, and by doing that, you'll, you'll uh, get to meet lots of people. And I think part of um, part of finding how to get into real estate is finding people you really like to work with. And if you have good chemistry and you have good connections with those people, um, that will often lead you to something which is quite rewarding. And to help them along the way, can you recommend maybe a business book or a podcast or something that has inspired you within for your business? Yeah, I'd, I'd mentioned two things. Um, I think for real estate investing, um, which I guess is closest to what we do, um, I would definitely recommend this book called The Real Estate Game, which is written by Bill Porvu. It's one of my professors in the US at grad school. Uh, that's an excellent, um, somewhat dry, but really excellent uh, <laughs> overview to real estate investing and how to think about it. Um, and then to entrepreneurship, I would reference a book called Founders Dilemmas by Noam Wasserman, which is also an excellent account of founders in different situations um, trying to make decisions whether or not to go entrepreneurial and at different stages in entrepreneurship, um, how to think about growth and how to think about organizations. And both of those books, um, for me at least, have been go-to sources of information 
um, that have been really, really useful. And that second one about entrepreneurship, did you read that once you were an entrepreneur or did that influence your journey towards that? That actually influenced my journey towards it. Um, and I read that after my banking experience when I was in grad school. Um, and um, obviously after grad school, I still went back to working for institutions and I spent five years with Blackstone, but it did uh, plant a seed of wanting to eventually go into entrepreneurship and you know, found a smaller company and and um, and that was really, really, um, I'd say definitely at the source of it. And well, Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a, a real pleasure to speak to you. Thank you so much for having me. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. To find out more about the other episodes of this series, go to the Young Leaders page on the ULI Europe website. Mm-hmm.